today and next week, and I just think it's going to be two weeks, we're going to talk about covenants in the Bible. And the reason I want to do this is uh, many of you actually in our church are reading your Bible. I'm having a lot of people tell me they're reading their Old Testament. And what I want you to understand is there's no disconnect from the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, it's one book. And what people have described to me sometimes is they'll go like, now why is there these covenants that keep happening again and again? Why do they happen? And it's like God has to do a new one, so it's almost like he's wiping out one. So like, why does God have a covenant with like Noah, and then he does one with Abraham, and then he does one with Moses, and then he does one with David, and why does God do these covenants and then cancel them out or have new time periods? And what I want to describe to you today is actually that's not true. When you see the covenants in the scriptures, although they all have different variances to them, they all are connected to each other. They build on each other. They reference each other. Because in the end, all the covenants that you see in the scriptures actually tie in that God is faithful. And what is God faithful to be? He will be our God and we will be his people. And all the covenants actually find their culmination in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the new covenant, the ultimate covenant. So I want to talk about that for just a couple weeks. Because as we, we finish the minor prophets as far as looking at the northern kingdom of Israel, now we're going to look next at the southern kingdom. And then they're going to go into exile. And some people might be wondering, like, wait a minute. If God made a covenant with them with Abraham that they would be in the land, that it would be a forever covenant, that it would be their land and be their people, then why are they going into exile? And why is it that Moses says, if you don't obey this, you're going to basically go into exile? Like, why are those covenants contradicting themselves? Is there any unity in that? And how does this point to Christ? Now, you might be, here's my fear. This, if you're not reading your Bible, these next two weeks may be difficult, but... Maybe it'll inspire you to go, you know what, I gotta I gotta see the Bible as more than just, you know, reading the gospels in the New Testament. I gotta see the whole picture of what God's trying to do. So I'm hopefully gonna paint that and lay that out. I will probably generate more questions uh after this. So please, if I confuse the mess out of you, um please come and talk to me after and help me to unwind this. I'm gonna try my best. Even in my own mind, this is probably one of the most difficult topics to talk about and create a unity of thought. Okay, If you've ever read the Old Testament and tried to kind of figure out how does this all... Have you ever done that? Like if you've read the Old Testament, how does this tie together? Most people treat the Old Testament as separate stories, but, but really it's, it's really one story and it has a point for where all of it's going. Okay, are you with me? So we're going to talk about biblical covenants. Uh, this week we're going to talk about God's faithfulness with biblical covenants. And so that's what we're going to talk about this week, covenants. So first, let's just answer this question. What is a covenant in the Bible? What is a covenant? So a covenant, when you look at it, I'll give you kind of a definition. A covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. A bond in blood sovereignly administered. So a bond, which means there's an oath, there's a promise, and it's going to happen. A bond. And that bond usually involves a relationship in blood. Meaning, when we see covenants in the Bible, almost all the time, we usually see a sacrifice, an animal killed, or something is cut, blood is spilt. The scriptures say that, the life, that, 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 that life is in the blood, meaning if you don't have blood in your body, then you're going to die. Which, think of this. See how this points to Jesus? That Jesus on the cross, like people go, why did he have to shed his blood? Why is that so big? Why, when we take communion in a minute... Are we using grape juice? Because it's pointing to this symbolism of blood that all through the scripture, when a covenant was made, you most of the time see some kind of cutting, some kind of blood that's being let. And basically, when you have a covenant and that bond is being established and it's being done in blood, basically, there's this idea that if you don't keep this, may the threat of death happen to you. Let me give you an example on our kind of surface here. Marriage. You ever notice that marriage, the traditional vows say, in sickness and health, and richer for poor till what? Death do us part? Well, why would we say that? By the way, doesn't that sound kind of like, like gruesome? Like, hey, we're, 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 we're taking these oaths and then till death do us part. It's kind of like the old, 
Um, I remember like the old um, one where you pray with your kids. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep right. And you're just kind of like, who prays that prayer with their kid right before they die? Like I hope. I hope. So I know it sounds kind of morbid, but that's how covenants work. Covenants are cut in, are, are, are always involving like blood typically, which means basically when you make a covenant with somebody, you're saying under the threat of death, I will keep this covenant under the threat of death. That's why when you get married, it, it, we, we're looking at it as a covenant of unless death happens, this covenant's going to be kept. Now, here's what's interesting. In the Bible, when covenants are broken, it's because man has been unfaithful. You know what's interesting about Christ? Christ was completely righteous in his life, never sinned. So he never violated any covenant, but on the cross, what did he do? He became the covenant violator. And because he became the, vi- the covenant violator, not because he did anything, because he was doing this glorious exchange, your sin for his righteousness, what happens? He gets cut. That's why the blood is shed on the cross, because he becomes the covenant the covenant has been broken man has been unfaithful to god's covenants but jesus is going to be faithful where man is unfaithful now i want you to understand when jesus does that on the cross that is not the first time god is faithful where man is unfaithful when you look at all the covenants of scripture you basically find this kind of rhythm that man never is faithful with the covenants that god makes with him and god has to come in and be faithful and ultimately it's all pointing towards redemption to the day that jesus will be faithful are you with me do you understand this now, let me tell you a story. I, I am a very faithful guy when it comes to clothes. And here's what I mean. I don't have many clothes in my wardrobe. I typically only have a couple of pair of blue jeans at a time, a couple of shirts. And I really like this brand called Goodfellow from Target, okay? Is anybody a Goodfellow? I know it sounds like the mafia, doesn't it? But uh, I, it's, it, it's good. There's no pinky rings being worn while I buy this, right? So Goodfellow is a Target brand. Of clothes, and for some reason, I just like how their jeans fit. I like how their shirts fit. I'm very faithful to that brand, so faithful that last night I was like, you know what? Um, every time I go into Target, I look for a pair of jeans, and if they don't have it in Goodfellow, I just assume God doesn't sovereignly want me to have any more jeans. So, is, I mean, now could you go anywhere else in the world and order jeans and get jeans? Absolutely. And Cindy yesterday said when I was going to Target to get some stuff for the house, she said hey, you need to get another pair of jeans. You're like, you have like one good pair of jeans. And I'm like, you know, I go in there, I look, if I don't see my size in that brand, I just don't do it. And so I kind of said, well, Lord, we'll see if you sovereignly have decided I should have another pair of blue jeans. And wouldn't you know it, there was a pair there, good fellow, that fit me. And while I was there, I was like, you know what, I do need to get another shirt. You know, uh, you know, I've pretty much, you know, Sweat stained all my shirts from last summer, and so uh, I'm gonna get another shirt, you know. And uh, you know what I found? So faithful am I to this brand that this morning, as I was getting dressed, I put on the new jeans, and then I put on the new shirt. And you know what I realized? The shirt that I wore last week from Goodfellow that I bought a year ago is the same shirt I bought yesterday from Goodfellow a year later. I'm wearing the same exact shirt just a year later. Can't tell a difference, though. I mean, like, in the moment, I don't see any difference between the Goodfellow shirt from last year and this year. I don't even, it didn't even register in my mind because there's such faithfulness to the brand. Like, I see such continuity between the brands, even the fact the same exact threading. Now, why is that? Because I just don't see any difference between them. <laughs> you know, I'm blind to it. When you think of the covenants in the scripture, think of it that way. There is such continuity, such faithfulness to it, that, that even when you look at the covenant with Abraham, you instantly think the covenant that Christ has made with us. When you think the covenant of Moses, you think God, uh, Jesus has been faithful to Moses' promise. When you think the covenant of David, you think Jesus is faithful as from the line of David. Are, are, are you okay so far? Do you understand there's a faithfulness there. So a covenant, it's something that is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Meaning, God is the one that does it. There's typically a cutting of blood. There's some kind of sacrifice that happens that signifies or signals what's going to happen. I'll give you an example. Do you remember when, Moses, um, when Abraham, he had got the covenant call from God in Genesis chapter 12, right? And then Genesis chapter 15, God cuts a covenant with him where he walks 
between the, where God walks between the animals, and we'll look at that here in a minute in Genesis 15, where, where God is actually cutting that covenant, and God's the one actually walking between the animals, showing that God will be the one to faithfully keep this covenant, even though Abraham will be unfaithful. Don't we remember the story of what Abraham does? He kind of doubts God's promise to bring seed through him, and he, he goes out and, 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 and has a kid with Hagar, the handmaid, instead of you know Isaac, who was supposed to come. But then you even find later in chapter 17 that God gives them circumcision, right? And, and circumcision is you're actually even cutting. You're cutting. When circumcision happens, you know, not to be all gruesome here, but a man gets cut in a very delicate part of his life. There's a cutting. There's blood. It's signifying a bond. Now, people always wonder, like, man, why, why, why is the Old Testament so big on circumcision? Well, the reason is because it's a reminder. I mean, I'm not trying to be gross here. I'm not trying to be like potty mouth pastor. But you go to the bathroom multiple times a day, typically, if you're hydrated enough, right? What a reminder. Every time an Israelite went to the bathroom, it was a reminder that there was this covenant that God had cut with them through Abraham. So a covenant is, is this bond or promise in blood, sovereignly administered, meaning God's in control of the whole entire thing. I'll give you an example like Jesus. People have said to me, um, the Romans forced Jesus to go to the cross, or the Jews forced Jesus to go to the cross. And I would go, no, actually Jesus decided that. In fact, God preordained that that would happen. All the events of the cross actually were, although the, the Jews and the Romans of that time are accountable for their actions, it was all according to Acts 2 of God's preordained plan, sovereignly administered by God. So when you think covenant, always think it's a bond, it's a promise, Okay. And then, not only is it a promise, but it's typically done in blood. It's, there's some kind of covenant seal or sign that kind of ratifies it. Although there may be a, 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 um, a verbal promise before, there's something, there's something there that kind of signifies it. And God is the one that oversees the whole entire thing. So, that's kind of what a covenant is. Um, now, let's do this. Um, I'm going to have to do a lot of stopping in this message to decide how much of these scriptures I'm going to give to you and how much I'm going to have you turn. Do this. Look at Jeremiah 34, 18. We'll pick that one right now. Jeremiah 34, 18. This is going to be seem a little professorly, but I just want to point out some things. Remember, we're talking about this idea first. I'm answering this question. What is a covenant? Jeremiah 34, 18. So when there is a covenant, and that covenant gets broke, death has to happen, right? So like you see that we're reading Jeremiah here, and Jeremiah is a prophet that's happening uh, during, the northern, during the southern kingdom of Israel. They're about to lose it all, go into Babylonian exile. And it says in verse 18, And the men who transgress my covenant... And did not keep the terms of the covenant, which actually is referring to the Mosaic covenant, that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. Which, what's interesting in verse 18, he, he's referencing not only the Mosaic covenant, but then the backside, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between the parts. He's then also referring to the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 15, where the calf was cut in half, and God walked through it, keeping the covenant to Abraham. What I want to show you is this. They are unfaithful to the covenant, and death happens as a result. So like when we get back to the minor prophets, we just finished the northern kingdom, and they're going to go now into Assyrian captivity. We just finished Hosea. That's what's happening. And why is that happening? Because they have broke the Mosaic covenant. But what's interesting is this. Although they broke the Mosaic covenant, the... All these covenants tie together. The Abrahamic covenant is still in play, which means this. Even when you get to like Jesus. I told you, remember when Jesus goes to the temple and Anna is prophesying? Well, the prophetess Anna is there. She's actually from one of the northern tribes that goes into Assyrian captivity. And it's showing you this. Israel, the northern kingdom that we've been reading about, they broke God's covenant. God, that they, they dis- so they had to suffer the death. They had to go into exile. But although they were unfaithful to the Mosaic Covenant, 
ultimately God is faithful to his Abrahamic covenant and he brings them back to the land later on after with, during Persia. So when you look at the covenants, they have this tie together. You get to see God's faithfulness through the whole entire thing. Now, here's what's awesome about the gospel message. Over and over, when we see Jesus come, he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So, for instance, if you were to and do this, go over to Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 22. Now, by the way, I would tell you, I've got so much study that I've tried to put into this area. It, at times, I, I fear there may be a lot of confusion, but you just pray for me, and hopefully it, it, this all makes sense. But like, for instance, I want to show you in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Jesus is showing the covenant that's about to happen. It says in verse 20, this is the Last Supper. Look in verse uh, verse 18. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new, what does it say? Covenant in my blood. So he even right here talks about a covenant and symbolizing that covenant even verbally with taking this wine in which shortly he would be going to the cross and actually cutting that covenant. And and by the way, people go this. When did Jesus' covenant actually start like this new covenant? I would go, well, you can make a case that he lived a perfect sinless life. He had a perfect ministry. He completely satisfied the law of Moses. So covenants oftentimes are given verbally and later they're actually ratified with that blood. So like take for instance, Jesus lived that perfect sinless life, qualified where we couldn't qualify, was obedient where Adam was disobedient. And then comes the ratification of that at the cross. You see Abraham in Genesis 12, he gets the promise from God, go leave this land, leave Ur the Chaldees. I have a land for you, a posterity. I'm going to build a nation from you. From that nation is going to come a great people. Ultimately that descends to Jesus. But yet it's not till Genesis 15 that we actually find God cutting that covenant with Abraham. And we even see a couple chapters later that he establishes circumcision with Abraham as a reminder. Which, by the way, here's what I love. People go, why are there so many covenants in the scriptures? Because man needs so many reminders to be faithful. He does. Have you ever wondered why we keep going to church? Why we keep doing Bible studies? Why we keep saying read the Bible? Why we keep at it, at it, at it? Why, do, why is it... One moment you could feel close to the Lord, then the next minute you don't feel close to the Lord because we, we are so sinful and unfaithful, we have to have reminder after reminder after reminder. So when you look in the scriptures and you see this word covenant, 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 covenant used over and over, don't think that the covenant before is gone. Think man needs another reminder and God in his grace is continuing to remind man that, that he is our God and we are his people over and over. So God does this. This is how covenant happens. Which, by the way, you see this at other times in different ways. So, like, for instance, Noah. God makes a covenant with Noah, and God symbolizes that actually with a rainbow. Um, you see in creation, God uh, cuts a, makes a covenant with us, and he symbolizes God's covenant of creation with saying, hey, you need a Sabbath. You need a time of rest that you can rest and remember what I've done for the other six days. So that's just a little bit about when does a covenant happen. It's usually verbal. It's usually given beforehand. There's typically a sign or symbol. Typically, it revolves around blood. Other times, it could be, it could be like a rainbow or the Sabbath. But what we have is this. There's always some kind of, of sign or symbol, and typically, it's usually in blood. That's, that's why even when like you get married, I may say, like when I marry somebody, I'll go, till death do us part, and they'll repeat that. And then we'll take some rings out, right? So kind of think, people ask me, why do we do the ring thing? Well, it's kind of like that reminder. Kind of like with Abraham once again. Verbally, God gives him the call in Genesis 12. The animals get cut in Genesis chapter 15. But then there's more reminders of God's covenant that he's made with Abraham. And you go over to Genesis chapter 17 and they've got circumcision. Parallel that with marriage. You've got, I mean, basically when when I marry people... They kind of agreed to do it beforehand, right? That kind of has to happen, don't you think? Like you have to, you have to agree that you're going to get married. 
<clears throat> so they've already verbally. So like, for instance, when, when I get people before me and I'm about to marry them, hopefully at that point they're not thinking, should I do this? Like, they've already verbally, they've already kind of moved in that direction. We're now performing the inauguration of it. We're now making covenant vows to each other. We're now saying, under the threat of death, I will keep this marriage vow. And then we're taking out rings and putting them on our fingers. Why? Because we're so unfaithful to our covenant vows of marriage that we need something in our face every single day to remind us, just like the children of Israel needed circumcision. Are you all still with me? Am I losing you or are you still with me on this? You can just shake your head and go, yeah. (laughs) So that's what covenants look like. That's how a covenant is made. It's usually verbal. There's a sign or symbol. God keeps it. Man has been unfaithful. Now, what are the covenants? Let me walk through this. What are the covenants? Well, there is one is called the covenant of creation. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Do you all know where Genesis is in the Bible? The first book. There you go. Genesis chapter 1. I don't know how much I'm going to walk through this. I may just talk about these. But I want to talk about the covenants that God has made in the scriptures. So you got Genesis chapter 1, right? And let me just read it for you. By the way, are y'all okay with reading here? Online, I hope you're okay with just reading some scripture. We're going to have to just read some scripture. This, this will take some thinking, okay? I tell you to go get some coffee, but we're not serving coffee yet. But we're going to read some scripture. Look in Genesis 1. This is God's covenant of creation. And God said, look, we'll look in verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let me ask you a question. Does this still happen? Okay, why is that? Because God's faithful to his covenant. Now you might be going like, I don't see the word covenant there, Nick, anywhere. You're taking from the scripture. Okay, hang with me. I'll show you. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so when God called the expanse heaven and their evening, morning, the second day. So we we see days happening here, right? God, um, basically, let's bump down to verse 11. And God said, let there be the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, Fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to his kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there is evening and morning the third day. Let me ask you, are vegetables still growing? Is fruit still growing? I mean, are they still, I mean, you're still able to get those and put those in your house and let half of them rot because no one actually ever seems to finish it, right? We all have the best of intentions. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of heavens that separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And let them be the lights in the expanse of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two greater lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Is there still light during the day and nighttime? Is there still stars? Are you still seeing that? Is it still there? Why is that? Because God is faithful with his covenants. Now, Keep going. And God set them, set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day, to rule over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. I think you kind of get the gist. Now do this. Look over at uh, Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33. So we see just a little bit about creation, the days, the seasons that are created. Look in Jeremiah chapter 33 and look in verse 20. This is the covenant of creation. Look what it says in verse 20 of Jeremiah 33. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and the night will not come at their appointed time. Look at verse 25. By the way, we'll go back to this verse and look in context here in a little bit. Thus says the Lord, verse 25, If I have not established my covenant with day and night in the fixed order of heaven and earth. 
Here, Jeremiah calls creation a covenant. Now, here's what I love. Let me ask you this. As unfaithful as we are, are we going to change that the sun's going down tonight? Are are, Are we changing that the stars are going to be up there? Can't change it. Can't do anything about that. Why is that? Because God is the one faithful with all that. God has covenanted and promised that that's go- that process is going to happen. Like seasons continue to happen. It's his covenant. I mean, Jeremiah calls this out as part of God's faithfulness. This is why it's so important to understand this. Just that first covenant of creation that God says, I'm going to basically make life work day and night and seasons and growth and I'm going to control how far the waters can go. I'm going to... I'm going to control this whole entire thing. That lets us know, oh, wow, it's all in his hands. That's why even when you read Revelation and start to see, as the Lord is returning, great apocalyptic destruction seems to happen with all these kind of heavenly elements, it's basically saying this. He's the one that was in control of this the whole entire time. So that's the covenant of creation. It points to faithfulness. If God is faithful with creation then he can be faithful with the Savior. Now, keep looking. Let's look at the covenant with Adam. I don't know if I'm going to read this one. I might go a little bit shorter, so do this. Go over to Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. And I'm going to just quote from Genesis 1 because I think you already know Genesis 1. I think you already know Genesis 2. So I'm going to, I can't pick up everything unless you want to have church for hours. I didn't even get an amen on that one, so we're not going to do that one. The covenant with Adam. So if you know Genesis, I'm just taking for for granted here. I'm sure most of us in here know Genesis 1 and 2. God creates Adam, right? He's to manage the garden, multiply, be fruitful, steward the earth, and obey God. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That was his mandate. That's what he's supposed to do. That was the covenant God had made with, with Adam. But like all things... Adam is unfaithful. And by Genesis 3, what do we see? We see Adam taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said don't do. Now, what's interesting, when you look at Hosea, that was a covenant, right? Now, in the end, Adam is unfaithful with God's covenant, but God is always faithful with his covenant. Because look what happens. When you look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant and there they dealt faithlessly with me. So Hosea is talking about the sin of the northern and southern kingdom of Israel, which we've been studying. But he parallels their sin with the sin of Adam in the garden and calls it a covenant. What am I telling you? Although the word covenant isn't used in Genesis 2 or 3 in regard to Adam, Hosea actually pulls it back and says that was a covenant actually. Like God made a covenant with, with Adam. By the way, just to kind of help you here. Adam has a covenant with God. He sins against that covenant. Then what does Adam try to do to try to make up for his covenant? He tries to sow fig leaves, tries to cover his own nakedness, right? But then later on, God comes in, and what does God do? God kills an animal and covers Adam himself. What do we see? Blood's being cut. A covenant's being cut. Like God's even saying, like, under the threat of death. And then we see Genesis 3.15, which is a promise of the Messiah where Jesus, where where God comes in and basically says to Adam and Eve, I will solve your unfaithfulness by my faithfulness to bring about my son, the the seed of the woman. Are you with me? Do you understand Genesis 3.15? And then after that, Adam calls Eve, not not woman anymore, he calls her Eve now, which means the mother I'll leave in, which means Adam is basically saying, I've been unfaithful. But now God is faithful. He's just sacrificed these animals to show what a, what a covenant is. And God is faithful to his promise that he's going to bring a man-child that's going to do right where we've done wrong. And it's going to come from, from, from this woman that you've given me. And in fact, I'm going to now name her Eve, which means the mother of all living, because I have faith that God's going to do this. So God's faithful where man's unfaithful, but that's a covenant. That's called the covenant of Abraham. So we've got the covenant of creation, the covenant of Abraham. I'm sorry. The covenant of Adam. Now let's look. Um, we have the covenant of Noah. Look in Genesis 6. By the way, I understand this may not be the most exciting message on the surface. But if you're reading your scriptures and you're kind of like, man, how does this all tie together? Because here's the hardest thing. Have you ever tried to read the Bible 
just you're just kind of like, oh, January 1's here. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And you get all excited, and you read Genesis, and you're kind of like, yeah, I get this, I get this, I get what God's doing, right? And then you get to, you know, like half, you know, like at the end of Genesis, and you're like, okay, I'm lost a little bit. Why, you know, why is all this weird stuff happening? Then by the time you get to Leviticus, you just give up. And you're just like, I don't even know what this is all about. It, if, you'll, if you'll grip onto this, you'll see that God actually has a story he's painting through all this that he's doing. Okay, so we know the story of, of Noah. This is the covenant with Noah, chapter 6, verse 18. <clears throat> so Noah is given this mandate, build the ark. I'm going to destroy man. Their wickedness is great. Why would God destroy man? Because man had become so unfaithful, it was, it was, it was going to damage the covenant that God had made uh, with Adam. So he says right here in verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And that's exactly what they did. They came to the ark. You know the story of the flood. But even watch this. God did all that. Did, did the, it's called the Noah covenant, where God said, I'll make a covenant with you. I'm going to rebuild from you. Basically, God does with Noah what, what was done with Adam. Remember when Noah comes off of the ark? It's like, be fruitful multiply and then the threat would be wait a minute will you ever do this again then god gives them a covenant sign what and what was that it's the rainbow that every time you see the rainbow it was the confirmation that god wasn't going to destroy the world from a flood even today when you see a rainbow in the sky it's actually reminding you of the covenant that god made with noah saying that although no although noah's generation was unfaithful god is faithful even by the way Noah's even unfaithful. He comes off the ark, and we find him getting into a drunken stupor and does some pretty lewd things. But although man is unfaithful, God is always faithful. But that's called the Noahic covenant. Now next, we move on to the Abrahamic covenant. Go to Genesis chapter 12. I don't know if I'm going to take too much time to read this. I'm just going to call this out where you can read it. But we'll read a little bit of it. Look in chapter 12, verse 1. God calls Abraham. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, this is Genesis 12, 1. This is now the, I've talked to you about the creation covenant, the Adam covenant, the Noah covenant. Now, let's look at the uh, Abrahamic covenant. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you may be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God gives this call to Abraham and says, leave where you're at. This is where I want you to go. I'm going to make a great nation. All these promises. And ultimately, the promises to Abraham find their culmination in Christ someday. But I want you to notice that basically you, you don't get till chapter 15. If you look in chapter 15, it isn't ratified till that part, but God's Verbal promise already stands. Now, watch this. Look over in chapter 15. So, after these things, the Lord came, this is chapter 15, verse 1, came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Uh, your reward shall be great. But Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me? Because I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer Damascus. He doesn't have a son yet to carry on this covenant promise. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be the heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Remember, he didn't have that yet. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. Can't number the stars, really, if you've ever tried it. And when he said to them, him, So shall your offspring be. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldees. That happened back in chapter 12. To give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I will possess it? He said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, young pigeons. And he brought them all these. He cut them in half. He laid each half over against them. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came to the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And when the Lord said to Abraham, Know for a certainty that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. 
As for, for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of Amorites has not yet come. So all this to say this. Basically, God already gave them the, the covenant promise in chapter 12. Chapter 15, it's getting ratified. And, and this is awesome. He's telling Abraham, I'm going to give you this land, but wait a minute. There's going to be a time when you're going to be away from this land, and then I'm going to bring you back. Now, just to kind of make a connection. They get brought back underneath Moses, but they get brought back underneath Moses because God was faithful to his Abrahamic promise. And by the way, when God makes a promise, sometimes there's a long history here. So God makes a promise to him, but basically says it's going to be a long time. Basically, he says, your people are going to actually go into Egyptian bondage. Now look at verse 17. And when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So right now, a covenant's being made. Abraham cut the animals in half. This is a covenant. And who's walking between these animals? Is it Abraham or God? Is it Abraham or God? It's God doing it. Why is that? Because Abraham would have never been faithful enough to ever keep this. So God says, I will be faithful where you'll be unfaithful. I will actually keep this covenant. This will be an unconditional covenant. So like, for instance, Adam's covenant was a little bit conditional in the sense that he had to obey God to stay in the garden. He was unfaithful to it. But in the end, God was more faithful to Adam's covenant because God then gives him the promise of the Messiah, right? And then we come to Abraham, and even Abraham is unfaithful. He has a time of wavering on this promise. When That's why he goes into Hagar, and they have Ishmael. But yet, God is always faithful. So he knows that. So that's the Abrahamic covenant. And then we have the covenant with Moses. Look in Exodus chapter... We'll look in Exodus chapter 19. I'm just trying to kind of tell you these covenants so you know that they exist. And then I'm going to start tying them up together and we'll finish tying them up next week together and how there's some unity among them and how this points us to Jesus ultimately. Exodus 19, 1 through 8. Actually, we'll pick it up in, in verse 3. We're now at Moses, okay? And Moses went up to God and the Lord called him out of the mountain saying... Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, which is, house of Jacob is tracking to Abraham, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, now, here's the deal. They already have a covenant with Abraham. But God comes in and says, Moses, I want to talk about another covenant, the Mosaic covenant. It doesn't replace the Abrahamic covenant. It accentuates, it adds to it, and it gives us more of redemption history, giving us more chance to point to Christ. If you look in chapter 20, this is the Ten Commandments. And it says in chapter 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then he gives you the Ten Commandments. Notice, God's faithfulness to bring Israel out of Egyptian bondage was because of his promise to Abraham. Remember in Genesis 15, part of God's promise in Genesis 15 was, you will go down into Egypt, but I will bring you out of it. And now he's given the Mosaic Covenant, which is the Ten Commandments. Follow these Ten Commandments. And then these Ten Commandments result in all these other civil and ceremonial commandments that Israel obeys. That's the 600 other commandments we talk about. But it was, it was all connected, actually, to the Abrahamic covenant. So God brings and gives the Mosaic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant is basically this. You get to come into the land, but you've got to be faithful to me. I have the Mosaic law. Here's the Ten Commandments. And then there are ceremony and civil laws that, that extrapolate from those Ten Commandments. That's what you get when you start reading the rest of, of like um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and numbers. And what happens that God says this. If you're going to stay in the land and enjoy it. You've got to obey this Mosaic covenant. Okay. So the Mosaic covenant was obey the Ten Commandments. And you get to stay in the land. It'll go well with you. You'll get blessings. Okay. Now that's the Mosaic covenant. Which by the way. Was Israel faithful to that covenant? No. That's the whole thing. What were the minor prophets. 
Israel is being unfaithful to that Mosaic covenant. All the kings that is that northern kingdom of Israel had and southern kingdom, uh, some of them were faithful to God's covenant, but most of them weren't. And that's why they're going into exile. That's why they're experiencing the threat of death, the cutting of death. They are violating God's covenant. Now that's what we call the Mosaic covenant. Now let's go to the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This will be the last one I talk about. Next week we're going to look heavily at the at Christ's covenant. Second Samuel chapter 7. You have what's called the Davidic covenant. David is now the king in Israel. It was interesting. If you were to look at 1 Samuel 16, David is already verbally made king. But he's not actually king yet. The, the Davidic covenant actually happens verbally already back in 1 Kings chapter 16. But it's 2 Kings 7. As David brings the ark to Jerusalem and as he desires to build the temple and this will be a permanent dwelling place where God's going to dwell among his people. Because remember, all the covenants point to this idea. I will be your God and you will what? Be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. So you look here. We'll look at the very end where it says this. Go to verse 15. God says to David, who's now the king, he wants to build the Lord a house. He's already told the Lord. The Lord said, yes, you're actually not going to get to. You get to put the material out, but it's actually going to be um, your son that's going to get to do it. God says, by my steadfast love, it will not depart from you, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you. But your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all the words, in accordance with all the visions, Nathan spoke this. To David. This is the Davidic covenant. So you have these covenants. Ultimately, all of them point to the ultimate covenant of Christ that he makes with us. That he will be our God and we will be his people. And every one of these covenants, that's what God is doing. With the creation covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people. With Adam, even though he failed, God says, I will be your God, you'll be my people. With Abraham, I will be your God, you'll be my people. With Noah, I'll be your God, people. Moses, people, God. David, people, God. Now, I've got just a couple minutes. I want to give you a little bit of a taste of what will go further next week, if you even show up. (laughs) You might be like, Lord Jesus, I will not do this. I will wait till Micah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 33. I want to start now tying some things together. I just need you to know those covenants. And basically the shotgun form that I could give you. So when you read the Bible and you're like, man, why are these covenants? God is over and over reconfirming his love. Now, each of these covenants have some nuances, but they all point us to Christ. And I want you to understand there is a connection between these covenants. Why is there a connection? Because they all point to Christ. That's why there's a connection. And God's trying to do something in Israel. So, for instance, look in Jeremiah chapter 33. And let's look through verse 20 through 26. And here's the point I want to show you just in this one. Creation covenant is seen in relation to the covenant God made with David and with Abraham. So look at this. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 33. And I want you to look in verse 20. And I just want to point out some things to you. We'll continue this next week, uh, trying to show the unity of these covenants, how God is faithful where we're unfaithful. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord. If you can break my covenant with the day... We read this verse earlier. We're going to read more of the context. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at the appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. So God's saying this. If my ultimate covenant with David can be broken, then creation's covenant can be broken. But guess what? Did the sun come up this morning? Yeah, I can see it outside right now because God is so faithful. He's basically saying, as sure as the sun's going to come up, it's as sure as I'm going to keep the covenant of David. The covenant that I said to David, I will bring my Messiah through the throne of David, through the lineage of David. I will do it. And just so you know, David's lineage in the end was very unfaithful. So unfaithful, they went into Babylonian captivity. But yet God kept his promise, and I'll show you in a minute how we get to that, but keep going. Then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he 
shall not have a son to reign on the throne in my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister there. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people, what these, that these people are saying? The Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus they have despised my peoples, so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with the day and the night and the fixed order of heaven and earth. So he reiterates, God had a covenant at creation. And God's been faithful with that covenant at creation. Day and night are still happening. Seasons are still happening. Then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant. And I will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's he pointing to there? The Abrahamic covenant. So God says, as sure as sun rises and sets on that covenant, I'm going to keep the Davidic covenant. As sure as the sun rises and sets on that covenant, I'm going to keep the Abrahamic covenant. There's, I want you to start seeing there's a tie between all these things, right? God's trying to point to his faithfulness. Because every time man starts to think that God's not showing up, God doesn't have a plan, God's not in this thing, God's like, no, actually I have a plan the whole entire time. So there's this connection that you see between creation and David and Abraham. So we'll keep looking. Look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. Actually, skip that. Go to Exodus chapter 2. I'll just verbally talk about it as you go to Exodus 2. Hey, do you remember earlier when I read about Adam? Remember when we read Hosea 6, 7? And it talked about the northern and southern kingdom transgressing the covenant just like Adam did? That covenant they were transgressing was a Mosaic covenant, right? But once again, what do you see? A connection between Adam was unfaithful, and yet God started the process of faithfulness just as Israel and the southern kingdom were unfaithful. And then God starts a process of his own faithfulness by taking them into exile to purify them, to bring them back that someday the Messiah could come from them. Now do this. Look at Exodus chapter 2. And we'll land the plane here in a minute. And we'll continue. We'll, uh, we'll fly the plane again. We won't land it completely because we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Look in Exodus chapter 2 and look in verse 23. So the children of Israel are groaning. They're in Egyptian slavery. All they know at this point is that they have this Abrahamic covenant, and there's this Noahic covenant, and there's this Adamic covenant with Adam, and then there's creation's covenant. But notice verse 23. And in those days, many days, the king of, when the king of Egypt died, the people of Israel groaned because of the slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw that the people of Israel and God knew. And then look at chapter 3. What do you have? It now starts the history of Moses. God now brings about Moses. And Moses helps deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses leads them out of Egyptian bondage. And as we read earlier in Exodus 20 and Exodus 19, he brings them to Mount Sinai. And then God makes his Mosaic covenant with them. They're all tied together. God's being faithful. Even right here. There, and by the way, what happened with them right here when they call out in groaning in Exodus 2, 23 through 25? Remember, Abraham's promise in Genesis 15 was this is going to happen, but I will be faithful to bring it about. How do we know God's going to be faithful to bring it about? Because God decided in Genesis 15 to walk between the animals that were cut and he left Abraham to the side. Abraham's over here passed out from dehydration or I don't know what, but he's smooth passed out. And God's the one who's faithfully walking through the covenant of Genesis 15, saying, I'm going to be the one to keep this. I'm going to bring you from the land. I'm going to do all this. You're unfaithful, but I'm faithful. Okay? So, we're going to keep exploring this next week, if you dare. And then we'll just do it one more week. If you're not reading your Old Testament, you're kind of going to think right now, like, big deal, Nick. Didn't get much from that. If you're reading it, though, you're going to start to go, wait a minute. Wow. You know what God in his grace does, which is so amazing? Do you ever forget him? Do you ever feel like you forget God? And God is so faithful in his grace to keep reminding us. 
even, so here's the cool thing. Take your Bible and look at 2 Kings at the end of it. I just want to show you something. This is how faithful he is. So, and we'll share next week. I want to show, I want to connect a couple more covenants together. And by the way, I, I'm only scratching the surface of this. And then I wanted to connect a little bit more to the covenant of Christ. But I want to connect a little bit to the covenant of Christ before we leave here. Look in 2 Kings. I just want to show you something very peculiar. Very peculiar. Y'all like peculiar things? So you're going to discover this as we get into the southern kingdom, as we start Micah and we start those prophetic books. We're going to get into the southern kingdom. So basically, when you look at 2 Kings chapter 25, the very last chapter, something's going on here. I just want you to look at it. You just got to get your eyes on it. We'll end with this thought, and then we'll take communion and, and, and let you go. Okay? Are y'all, are y'all still with me? You okay? You still with me? You alive? Okay? All right? If you, if you need something to wake you up, just go stick your mouth underneath the uh, alcohol dispensers, right? It'll kind of get you going. So here's the deal. We're going to discover in the minor prophets that the southern kingdom goes into exile eventually. Now get me. The southern kingdom was where the Davidic lineage was, right? So here's the problem. If the southern kingdom has the line of David and the Davidic promise connects to the Mosaic promise, to the Abrahamic promise, to all these covenants, promises that God makes, what do we do with the fact that there's, the Davidic king is no longer on the throne. They're exported into, into Babylon. And wait a minute, isn't, Dave, isn't Jesus supposed to come from the line of David? Like, how's this going to work out for us? Like, is, is God going to keep his promise? Is God going to be faithful? Now, what's interesting, you may read like Second Kings or the Kings, and you're just like, man, all these kings, I don't even get it. Well, there's a point. The very last king, look in verse 27, Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin, who... Jehoiakim is also, it's just confusing in the Bible. They, Bible names are so hard sometimes, but what makes me mad is when they decide to have one difficult Bible name and then go, oh, but this guy goes by other biblical names too. They're just as messed up, right? So we got this guy named Jehoiakim, and then also his name could be Jeconiah, right? And they're used interchangeably. Sometimes it's Jeconiah, sometimes it's Jehoiachin. If you need a baby name, you're welcome. So they're now in an Israelite captivity. Things are looking bad. What's going to happen? The Davidic throne is not being occupied. Babylon has taken over them. What are we going to do now? Is God going to be faithful to his promises? Read with me, verse 27. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin, king of Judah, remember, his name is also Jeconiah, in the 12th month, on the 37th day of the month, evil Murdoch, which, by the way, if that's your name as a king, what a boss name to have, right? Evil Murdoch. <laughs> Another baby name. King of Babylon. And the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. So he frees Jehoiakim. He frees him. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above all the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table, and for his allowance and regular allowance he was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. You might be like, why did he even put this here in Kings? Here's the reason why. Okay, there, I don't know about you, but even any guy whose name is Evil Murdoch, okay, that does not seem like a very benevolent king in Babylon. But yet this guy, is setting loose Jehoiachin, okay? Is he really Jehoiachin? I keep calling him Chin, right? It's, Bible names are hard to remember. He sets free Jehoiachin, and basically he gets to feed, he gets to enjoy himself, and you start getting out of prison, and you get to start circulating, and your family kind of gets out too. What happens now? You start making babies. Things start happening. Posterity starts happening. Now do this. Look over, and by the way, there's no reason for evil Murdoch, evil Murdoch, to let this guy loose and do this. He should just be in prison like the rest of the Babylonians. He should just be locked. He shouldn't be able to do this. He should be a eunuch like Daniel 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, you hanging with me? Now do this. Go over to Matthew chapter 1. Go to Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 11. Why would God do that? This Davidic king with Davidic lineage, Jehoiakim, why would he get allowed to have all this freedom in Babylon, being in exile, the king evil Murdoch, even allow that? Well, because that king is a direct lineage to Jesus. Because from that king eventually would come Joseph. From And Joseph, that's how Joseph connects to the line of David. Look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 11. And Josiah, the father of, what's that word? Jeconiah. Remember I said Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, that's the same person. Jeconiah is just another name for Jehoiakim that's used. And his brothers, and at the time of the departation to Babylon. And then you track all the way through that, and you get to verse 17. Now these are the generations from Abraham to David, were 14 generations from David to the deportation, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Why would God do that right there? Why would he re- let Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, have this freedom? Because God was being faithful to his promise, because he said, I will bring from your lineage a Messiah, David. Right? But why is that? Because all these covenants tie together. Creation's covenant ties to the covenant with David, to Moses, to Abraham. They're administered in different ways. See, so here you get Israel and in, in, in Judah. They're, they get sent into exile because they were unfaithful to the Mosaic covenant. But they're ultimately going to come out of exile. Why? Because although they were unfaithful to the Mosaic covenant... God was going to be faithful to his Abrahamic covenant that was unconditional because God was the one that cut that covenant. He didn't even need Abraham's help on that. God was going to do what man couldn't do for himself. You you hanging with me? You get that? And now, even this promise to David that the Messiah would come from the Davidic line, it it was going to come through Joseph because Joseph was going to come through this line through Jeconiah. And now let me blow your mind in this. But did Joseph have have any biological help for the Messiah coming? Was Joseph a part of that equation at all? The answer is no. (laughs) So family line, lineage-wise, Jesus was from David because Joseph was legally Jesus' father and Joseph was legally from the lineage of David. But Jesus didn't ultimately actually come from Joseph biologically. Here's what's even cooler. The Davidic line stopped right here, right? There was no more kings of Israel of, of Judah for this. But that didn't actually stop in the end because Jesus is a different king than all other kings. Jesus would be the king that would be born of a virgin, born of God. And only Jesus could be the ultimate Davidic king that none of these Davidic kings could ever be. So in the end, when you see all this, where we've been unfaithful, God has been faithful. And this is when he's brought about the Messiah, Jesus. He, he has been showing his faithfulness all through. So in a minute, when we take communion, I don't know if this even helped you at all or made some connections in your mind, but I want you to understand, when I'm taking communion here in a minute, I am celebrating how Jesus has been faithful where I was unfaithful. Why am I taking of that cup and why am I taking of that bread? Because I could never do it on my own. And even every time I take it, I'm remembering, like God gives all these covenants of remembering. And when I'm taking it, I'm remembering that someday I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to the promise. Abraham always looked forward to the promise. Moses looked forward to the promise. David looked forward to the promise. They all look forward to the redemption that's in Christ. Would you do this with me? If you have your communion cup, would you stand to your feet? And I want to just pray and ask our, our hearts to get in tune. The worship team's going to come and they're going to sing a song after we take communion together. If you're at home, you can take communion with us as well. You can get those elements. Um, and listen, we're going to continue to take communion here for several weeks. Or actually, I'm, I'm planning to take it every week for quite a long time. Why? Because uh, some people are going to be at home, and they're not going to be able to be here, and they need to do church. You need to take communion with people. But I think at this point in life, 
we need to remind ourselves that God is faithful, that he is our God and we are his people through the shed blood of Christ. We've got to remind ourselves. If you didn't get communion, it's on the back table back here. Here's what I also need. Can someone go get me some communion? Because I forgot to bring one up here to myself. I want to pray and ask God's anointing over this time. Lord, let our hearts right now just settle in. Let us just settle in in and be amazed at what you've done through the scriptures. I'm so unfaithful. I see my sin and wickedness. I'm so thankful that communion right here is not for perfect people. It's not for people that are um, unflawed but flawed, unfaithful, faithful but unfaithful. That's how I need it. I'm so thankful that I can take it and remember and remember and remember. God bless this time.